0: Welcome to Marketing Hell. This is the podcast that picks through the rubble of our most abysmal marketing failures, to see if we can find one or two lessons that mean you, the listener, will make all different blunders in your own campaigns. My name is Richard Leyland. In this episode, I'm interviewing Martin Zaba. Martin is a marketer and an entrepreneur. He founded and grew an online footwear startup. Today, he's head of marketing at Audience. And in between, he was a marketer for an equity crowdfunding platform, including a spell working on my marketing team. So this is a little bit unusual. We're gonna hear some marketing hell that I was there to witness and whisper it quietly, some marketing hell that was all my fault. As always on Marketing Hell, Martin is our guest and he's a skilled marketer. He's actually good at this. So I want to thank him for being happy to put his ego aside, to share his own personal marketing hell with me and with you so let's get to it. Martin. good morning. How are you this morning?
1: Good morning. Really
0: good. How are you? Very well, thank you. Very well. So this is one of the recordings I was particularly looking forward to because uh, it's the only one with somebody that I've actually worked with already and somebody that was on my team. So I've got a bit of an inside track on this one. This is going to be fun. So I was really interested in talking to you about the flyering campaign that we did a few years ago. So let's go from the top. Could we talk about that? What was the what was the rationale? What were we trying? Were we trying to do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I remember around the time you joined, um, I was already there. We'd been doing quite a lot of customer research, but and by quite a lot, I mean volume-wise rather than quality-wise. And I remember sort of realizing that almost every single person who was using the platform—sorry,
0: this is a, an equity crowdfunding platform. People buying shares in early-stage companies.
1: Exactly, and almost every single person who was using this platform to invest in these startups um, had a job in finance or, or professional services in the city. And it was this like uniform pattern of you know, the same sort of people, and we, we had this sort of at the time, interesting insight into who they were, but we weren't doing anything with it. And I just remember feeling this deep sense of frustration that we knew where they were and weren't doing anything with it. So I think in this bold, but perhaps unthought-through at the time decision, we decided just to go flyering in the city.
0: So the idea is we go hunting in the place where they roam.
1: So um, as you say, we thought we'd uh, go hunting where these people roam. Uh, And basically that consisted of printing a load of actually really, really well designed, good quality flyers, each one with the chance of winning a thousand pound investment into a startup of your choice. And we basically just like went to a couple of tube stops where were the most prompt closest to the most prominent addresses where people lived. And I think that was Canary Wharf, Green Park and one other city location.
0: I think it was Liverpool Street Station in the city of London. Liverpool
1: Street Station, that's right. Basically where all the bankers are. I think we printed like three or 4,000 of these leaflets and they were like really well designed. So they cost a, a fair whack per leaflet to, to print. They had like gold leaf on and everything. And then we hired a flyering company to, to give them out. And that was about it. But I remember this sinking feeling of going there on day one to each of the stations to check up on progress. Uh, and first of all, being like slightly disappointed to see this really, really, really bored looking flyer who probably wasn't the sort of person we wanted representing the company or indeed would be attracting high level investment bankers.
0: Sorry, sorry, Matthew, but what, what is the right kind of a flyer, a person giving out the flyers for this kind of campaign? Who, sh-
1: who should we have got? Uh, uh, maybe we shouldn't have been flyering Is the point. <laughs> but anyway, the, the guy just looked incredibly bored.
0: So what was the rationale behind spending a huge amount of money on, you know, very high production value flyers? Because like, I remember that we, it, was, it can't have been possible to spend any more money on flyers. So why do we go mad with that?
1: Yeah, so I think we had this idea that the flyer, basically the second someone took it into their hand, needed to like stand out over and above any other flyer they'd ever received. You know, it just had to wow the second you picked it up which would have been incredibly rare for a flyer and you know we i think i remember we spent a long time probably rightly so in this case thinking really deeply about how this should be designed what what sort of paper it should have what embossing it should have what should be the message on it we worked with a, a really great designer
0: embossing embossing it sounds so it sounds like um, Patrick Bateman in, um, what's that movie, where he goes on about the business cards. What is that movie? American yeah. Psycho. Embossing. Since when did Marka just talk about embossing? It sounds like it's from another era.
1: Uh, embossing flyers as well, right? But I remember the the unit cost of these flyers was like a couple of quid in the end when we did the production runs. Uh, they really did look special. I, I actually have a couple of them left over because I did it as, as a piece of... Art almost. I do remember thinking that they were actually quite good. But we worked with a, a designer on them, and we, the at the time, the company's logo had a little door as the as the logo, and we we even worked to incorporate the exact shape of the door that you would open it to it, to take the the voucher inside to see if you'd won the thousand pound investment. And basically, these flyers needed to speak the language of a thousand pound investment. Um, but anyway, I, I remember turning up on these at these stations not only to find super bored guys like wearing ripped jeans and dirty waterproof coats, uh, trying try, attempting to give the the flyers out to absolutely anybody who would take them rather than the, the description of people we'd given them, and then this absolute sea of flyers thrown on the floor in about ten meter radius around where they were standing like one bin at Green Park was literally <laughs> overflowing with these leaflets.
0: But I'll tell you, this is funny as well, because you, we'd asked them to give the flyers to a particular profile of people. So we were asking these flyers to make a judgment call as to who looks like they've got a load of money, right? Or to put it in the proper con- proper terminology, who looks like they're a high net worth individual. And it's just an odd thing that we would attempt to make a flyering Operative make that judgment call on the fly, and you know are they supposed to sort of bring their hand in and walk away if they see someone that doesn't look rich enough? You know this is just such a comically hold below the waterline approach from the beginning, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I think there were lots of, and um, I mean in hindsight it would have been far cheaper for three employees to have gone there and um, handed out the flyers themselves, and and maybe have a slightly better hit rate at giving the flies to the right people.
0: What what was the mechanism? How did we expect this to to pay off and be tracked?
1: So basically, on each um, flyer, inside each flyer, there was a voucher for a for the potential to win a thousand pound investment, and we thought that that would be so just just so desirable to have that people would sign up, uh, try to sign up with this code, and not only would we have an influx of new signups who were trying to see if they'd won the to see if they've won the prize. And you know, all of these sign-ups would ideally have been in the the right buyer persona because you know we we were we were hunting where they roam. So we'd have this influx, but we'd also be able to track exactly where they were coming from and which place was best performing. So perhaps in future we could have doubled down with an even more aggressive flyering campaign. Um <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> what was the result that the company got in the end after? giving out as many flyers as we chose to, what did we see?
1: Yeah, so I think we gave out, I think, close to 5,000 leaflets, and I think we got between two and three sign-ups, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> and, we, and we need to remember that there were also three prizes of a thousand pounds investment. That's, that. You know, there were two sign-ups, because basically both people who signed up won the prize. And there was one left over because not enough people signed up. I don't, I, I can't remember what the conversion rate on that would be, but it's pretty appalling.
0: So five thousand roughly flyers given out. Two people followed the route, signed up with the code, and you're obliged to give the thousand pound investment to both of them.
1: That was right, yeah, that was exactly. It. And I remember the one person who had taken up the the prize and, and signed up was actually a really prolific investor on our competitors' website, so much so that I knew who he was because his face and testimonials were all over our competitors' website. So by some complete sheer fluke, it it landed into the possibly one person's hands who we really didn't want it to land into.
0: Oh, it's beautiful. So this sounds like a spectacularly failed marketing campaign. How is it received inside the business? I mean, at the time, you were reporting to me, but I think I had left before the full post-mortem, or at least I don't remember the post-mortem. So how how is that played?
1: I mean, really, really, really badly. Like, really badly. I think it was just sort of ridiculed for for a long time. Um, I think any ideas from that point that the marketing team had for a good six to nine months were basically neutered at the point of conception simply because they might turn out to be like this wow and and then it sort of actually
0: and the ceo right so just to describe this company the um this was a a young small um venture-backed company with a ceo that had you know material ownership of the business and it was his business he's the major shareholder so was it him that had lost faith in the marketing initiatives, and was it him that was stopping any more wastage like that?
1: Uh, I mean, so he was certainly the the leader behind it, and like the at that point in time, the marketing budget was probably cut by seventy five percent because you know evidently spending money didn't lead to better outcomes. And at that point, it was this a really long process of organic regaining of trust. Let's say, of you know starting with. You know, just executing the the basics of SEO and PPC relatively well, then slowly doing some good social media and the odd bit of PR. And only after that were we able to start uh, doing better campaigns again, or not better, but like slightly more ambitious, high risk, high impact campaigns. But then actually it was quite funny because years after the campaign still was this sort of piece of culture in the company's history or like a cultural artifact where people talked about, like, oh, it can't be as bad as that, that campaign. We might as well give this a go because it can't be as bad as that was. <laughs> and even like people who were, who joined years after that campaign had happened were fully aware of what it was. And it was a sort of focal point of like, oh, we might as well try something risky because it can never be as bad as that, <laughs> which, you may, which you would have missed actually, Richard. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's a, sh- it's a shame that I missed that. I would have enjoyed it. I have to say that um, in my own career history, the time that I spent there, which was not that long, it's less than a year, I do look back on it as a time of of doing some you know, really effective marketing, but some disastrously ineffective marketing that cost too much money. And uh, I, I told the story in a previous episode of how uh, that's the job that I've come closest to having been sacked from in my entire career. Um, and frankly, I essentially was sacked because I was I, I was asked if I would like to resign, and lots of reasons for that. But one is clearly some really ineffective use of the marketing
1: budget. Yeah, it was. A, I think we were trying lots of stuff, and in in hindsight, I I, I was probably I, I think I'd been there for a, a year or two before you joined, and was deeply frustrated by the lack of forward momentum. And um, so, apologies because I was probably pushing. Uh, for a lot of these weird old campaigns that didn't end up working.
0: Well, this is interesting because I mean certainly years later no need for an apology on that. I I can still see the the rationale for this thing, right? You have a um a product you're tar- trying to market which is a an equity crowdfunding platform. There is literally a regulatory requirement that you only target this at sophisticated investors and high net worth individuals. So, and and if you veer from that, then the the regulator is going to come down on you. And it is true to say that there are parts of London that are very expensive to live in, and that are dominated by high net worth individuals, people with a few quid in their pocket. So there is a surface rationale for saying, let's just go there, try and see who they are, and give them a flyer. You know, give them a piece of branded material. So at, at a kind of surface level, you can still see the wisdom of it. So. Tell me why that wasn't the case. You know, fundamentally,
1: why did that fail? Yeah, I think we just fundamentally missed how these people actually behave. You know, it, it probably we would have known in about five minutes the answer to the potential success of this campaign had we just called a couple of these people up and said, when was the last time you looked at a flyer given to you in the street and, and seen what their answer would have been? <laughs> and Probably in hindsight, they would have all said, like, absolutely never have I picked up a flyer in the street. Or, What was the last financial services business that you saw flyering at Green Park or Liverpool Street Station? And I guarantee that it, well, looking back at it now, that would have been a great litmus test of whether to have done this campaign or not. But I think we just fundamentally missed the nuances of you know, how these people behave and how they go about their, their daily business.
0: So, as you said, this was a, um, a company that was trying a lot, was was investing to grow, including investing in marketing. What else did you try? What other things happened that didn't work?
1: Oh, my gosh, there was a lot. There was a lot, a lot, a lot.
0: What about that film? Do you remember the film with lots of uh, investors? Um... Yeah, I
1: was about to... I think it was the company's second or third birthday.
0: Worth saying that a company's birthday is not a thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know, right? You know, may- maybe some other companies have the right to celebrate being 100 years old or something, but a a crowdfunding platform celebrating being uh, founded three years ago isn't really a thing. Or, or at least one a-, a thing that more than two people outside of the business care about. <laughs> But anyway, we decided that we'd commission a film or a, a, an animation to celebrate three years of the company's um, history, and I think I remember at the time being quite impressed and inspired by like some of the brand marketing that Chanel had been doing, and it was this sort of very well thought through animations telling the history of the products and how they empowered their users. Which I just thought was like a, a really great take at a, at a at a brand campaign, and we we wrote a script up for this animation, and it was basically celebrating the different companies that we had funded up until that point, and, and they were doing some really really cool things, not only from a you know glossy apps for deliveries or whatever like that, but they they were doing like some really important things for the planet for humanity, and we were trying to celebrate you know, our role in funding these companies and helping them get off the ground via this, you know, Chanel-inspired animation. Uh, I think it's still locking around somewhere on Facebook, this this animation.
0: Oh, if it is, I'll find it. If it is, I'll find it. (laughs) Okay, let me just jump in here and say, I had a good look and I found it. It's on Vimeo. Link in the show notes. And honestly, it is as weird and as overblown as we feared. Okay, back to the pod.
1: I think basically armed with a lot of ambition but almost zero ability to to execute. We we commissioned a a small animation studio, haggled on price, which was obviously the right thing to do at the time, but probably we didn't buy their best their best work. And got to work on this animation, and I remember it being about two or three months late so we weren't even celebrating the birthday of the company or the the founding anniversary (laughs) uh, but like a period of time (laughs) long after and lots of delays happened lots of changes in direction uh, and basically the output was this perhaps two and a half minute long animation that looked like a total acid trip
0: (laughs) (laughs) And if I remember rightly, the animation skipped through the stories. So it, it skipped through the stories of the different startups that are founded, which is very diverse, right? So it would bounce from like a medical development to some sort of a consumer tech company. And it, and it was just sort of had no particular through narrative.
1: That's exactly right. And actually, even the visuals morphed into each other. So at one point, there was, you know, a, a sort of a ship that, that was sailing through the water which then morphed into a medical device which then morphed into like a wind farm which then morphed into a a, a video camera or something like that and it just looked really really peculiar
0: (laughs) and the message actually this is coming back to me now the message was um thank you wasn't it it was thank you to our investors for powering the next generation of of young startup companies something like that
1: exactly and i think i still think that the message was not bad i we're trying to say we're not set we weren't celebrating our own ego let's say but we're actually trying to say thank you to all of the people who had used the platform and done these cool things and built this next generation of really important companies Um, not only important from like a financial point of view but like a social and and environmental impact and we're trying to say thank you to them and all of these concepts that they had funded were like morphing into each other and just looking really really peculiar and weird. So
0: once this film was made, what was the use of it?
1: I don't think we'd even thought about what we were going to use it for before commissioning it. So we got lumped with this two and a half minute film. And we're like, oh, crap, now we need to do something with it. And I think we sent it out to a newsletter once, in a newsletter once to our members. And then we put it on Facebook, I seem to remember. Is that right? Do we put it on Facebook?
0: I think we I think we ran a paid campaign to um to, to drive viewership of the thing. To promote no them. call to action, no ability to generate leads, just like a brand asset that we ran a paid campaign over.
1: Yeah, that's right, that's right. And I think we ended up probably throwing quite a lot of good money after bad to try and promote this video and show some try and prove its value. And I think we spent probably another couple thousand or more pounds on paid social promoting this video to get like maybe another two or three views, each of whom left comedically inspired comments about the madness of the video rather than anything to do with the message with us as a company.
0: Yeah, so this is where I come in. I recall um, having to discuss this with the CEO of the business who I reported into. And I realized that I had not been closely enough involved and it had kind of just evolved outside of my direct view which wasn't didn't say too much positive about my leadership of the function and I remember saying you know we just need to spend a bit more money on a paid campaign to drive traffic to it because it's a brand asset and we need more people to you know to see the thing and and good money after bad is exactly what we were doing there because you know we'd spent I mean I I feel like it probably cost us about 12,000 pounds sterling the production maybe 15 so it's not huge money in you know in the grand scheme of things but for a company of our size it was a lot of money and actually I do remember that we were spending multiple more thousands on paid social campaigns I think in my mind I think it cost us all in about 20,000 pounds sterling for a small startup on a on a brand asset that's insane
1: Yeah not, you know not to mention the focus of a a relatively small marketing team it was a lot of money a lot of trips to London a lot of stressing around details I remember even uh, at one point I'd convinced myself that the whole thing would be a stonking success if we got a famous person to narrate the 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 story of the, the voiceover and I remember emailing uh, people like um, Stephen Hawkins <laughs> to, to see if he would volunteer his voice to this completely nuts video and being like absolutely over the moon when i got like an automated reply from his email address saying that he wouldn't read it (laughs) yeah i mean there was a a good few days wasted on crafting like really good pitch emails to famous people whose email addresses i didn't even have asking if they would be the voiceover for this video
0: and i remember that the voiceover in the end we got a whole load of we got a whole load of um, voice samples back, didn't we? And in the end, used most of them. We decided, oh, the diversity of all these voices, we should use ten different voices in order to do it. And that's how we that's, approached
1: it. That's exactly it. And because I think I think we wanted to like allude to this idea that you know crowdfunding brought a lot of people together. So actually, having one voice was quite inconsistent with what the concept stood for. And having ten voices speaking together would somehow be more illustrative of it. But yeah, it ended up just turning into a completely bananas cacophony of visuals and and multiple voiceovers at the same time.
0: Yeah, crazy, crazy. So i'm um, I'd like a more general chat, I guess, about how you should spend your marketing funds. If you are a, a small startup, you know, investing significantly to grow. It's understood that you are, you know, not going to be profitable in the short run or even the medium run we described some bad uses of the marketing funds what
1: should the business have been doing? um I mean with the massive benefit of hindsight and some very good coaching many years later I mean it's evident to see that we were just doing a lot of this or a lot of the ideas I was having and pushing to do were completely devoid of any like really detailed understanding of who our um, users were and how they behaved and how they heard about us. Uh, a key example being something like investing 20-odd thousand pounds into a flyering campaign at people who evidently don't pick up flyers. So I think probably uh, it would have been just like sit on the money, speak to as many of these people as we can, build a really detailed buyer persona of, you know, what... What are their like jobs to be done? why are they using a service like this? You know what are some of the pains they experience that you know lead them to to seek out a solution that is ours and not something else? And, and just like re- slowly build on that, but do lots of uh, experiments focused around these pain points, be those in adverts or or landing page copy or things like this to really to. I don't exploit is the wrong term, but like compliment, have have our company compliment the pains and gains that these people were looking to achieve. But I think it basically completely boils down to spend 80% of your time building this forensically detailed understanding of your customer and then base your marketing around that understanding and make sure that everything you do stems from that insight. And then just keep repeating that process over and over and over and over again until you find something that sticks.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I buy that completely. Now I'm going to turn this into a a therapy session just for a few minutes and talk about the mistakes that I made as I was in there for a a short period. So my challenge was to grow the team, get the right people in place and then grow member signups. And in a weird way, I feel that I did both of those things pretty well. And yet, I also see it as probably the position where I've made the largest number of expensive mistakes in my entire career. So I see it as both a success and a fairly dreadful failure. And we've talked about a couple of the failures. And, you know, I'm on the hook partially for all of the things we've been talking about here. So I, I ended up leaving, invited to resign, which I did. What, what's your sense of the job that I did and the mistakes that I made don't give me any praise if there's any coming, just the f- mistakes.
1: hey oh, crumbs. I mean, I, I think it, I'm not going to just give you the mistakes. I think you did a lot of great things, partly around <clears throat> building the team, because the team you built minus one person stayed on its syndicate room for five more years, and we worked incredibly well together, and we're still really good mates. Uh, so I think you did an absolutely cracking job of building a, a good team that worked together and stayed working together and has ambitions to work together in the future um, despite us all being uh, at different places now. So thank you because you built uh, some great working relationships and some real friendships through that and also I think you did do a good job of you know driving these member um, sign-ups because I had the benefit of being able to see the entire history on one timeline and the beginning part where where US CMO had the highest uplift in new sign-ups over time. After that, it was just this very gradual, organic increase with a few spikes. But in terms of mistakes, I think it boils down to what we've spoken about. It was just doing coming up with lots of ideas in a vacuum, devoid of any like customer centric context. We probably would have saved ourselves all a lot of hassle and money had we sort of gone to basics and just understood our customers much, much, much better and and started from that point, basically. And I think what we were guilty of, all of us, was you know having this marketing budget of, I think it was something like 50 grand a month, which was...
0: For a marketing team of about four people or five people or something.
1: Exactly. It was an astonishing amount of money for us to work with. And I think we were basically trying to like solve all our problems with money as opposed to thinking through how something could work and then scaling it
0: up you've been very kind to be there with no direct criticism of my work there must be you, you must have, have sort of looked back and thought that was a
1: bad approach
0: come on I this is marketing hell podcast you can you can go for it
1: I mean like having now I mean this was all quite some time ago and looking through and, and I've bumped into lots of other marketing teams and worked with worked with them. and i and I do think it's not just a criticism of you, it's a criticism of startup marketing, especially once it becomes venture backed and has lots of money. The temptation is to use money to solve all problems without m- maybe thinking about the fundamentals of what you're trying to do. And I think we were just totally guilty, all of us, of of doing exactly that, like trying to trying to use money to solve problems.
0: Yeah, one of the things that has occurred to me, in in most roles, but particularly in that role, is that there were two, two dynamics at play. One was the company is in a hurry, right? Um, it reports to its shareholders on a monthly basis. Every month needs to, you know, show a significant increase on the last month on whatever measure you're talking about, be it web traffic, signups, investments made, new clients coming in, all that. And the second bit is just you're really busy. You take on too much, you commit to to too much, you do long hours, and it kind of mitigates against proper, sensible, sober planning. And those two things together, we're in a hurry and you're too busy. I think it's it's kind of prosaic and boring, but I feel like those may have been the biggest problems that, that we faced, and maybe the reason that I, you know, look back on that and just think of
1: mistakes made. Exactly, and I think it's, I mean, we've been through a similar process at the company I'm at right now, where you know there's this urgency to perform, and your attempt you're to just like send emails put ads up you know get stuff out the door whatever whatever they might be we at least will be something will be happening when actually you know that shortcut is going to cost you a lot of time in the long run because you've you've not taken the time to understand the customer and the pain points they're trying to solve you haven't tested the messaging and then you know, six months pass, and you're you're none the wiser to what has happened, but you've you've burnt a hundred thousand um, pounds in in paid social, and you know time has passed. So, I think like as a a tip to marketing teams and startups is any time invested at the beginning to build a really really detailed customer persona and understand them in like 4K forensic detail is time very well spent. And it will avoid costly mistakes in the future.
0: You, I completely sign up for your, your, you know, your recipe there. I think you're absolutely right. Interestingly enough, I felt at the time that you were doing some great work in there, in that forensic understanding of the customer. I think maybe you should, you know, let yourself off on that particular criticism. I think it's probably the rest of us that weren't. But I remember you did spend lots of time poring over sort of statistical analysis and. Um, you know, whatever data we could pull out in relation to profiling clients. You did a huge amount of work in terms of um, buyer personas. So, so you, you were attempting to do all the right stuff. And in fact, I will say that um, when I joined that business and, you know, came on in on day one and wanted to meet the team that I would be managing, the way I saw you was as a um a careful planner that also had good instincts when it came to actually committing to activities and and you know driving them through as campaigns so i was i was impressed by you when i joined and and as i was preparing for this discussion with you a thought occurred to me which is that as a you know as a as a marketing leader managing teams you know, I've done that for multiple companies. And you build a list of the sort of superheroes that you would like to go back and try and get back into your team again in the future, almost your dream team. And you'd be on my dream team. But the dynamic is that you don't want to be on my dream team, because you want to lead marketing functions these days in the same way as I do. So it's a weird dynamic, that it's unlikely that I can come and grab you to work for me these days, because you've moved to, you know, you've moved to being nothing less than my peer and maybe more skilled than I am, you know, that's a, it's a strange dynamic. No,
1: that's not true. Not true. It would be, it would be a lot of fun to work together again.
0: It would. And we'd probably waste less money. <laughs> probably. Hopefully waste a lot less money. And that's how we ended it. Got a little emotional at the end, didn't it? Thinking about putting the band back together. Hope you enjoyed it. I want to thank Marchin for being a good sport. Um, and say that he's the head of marketing at Audience. Audience is a data platform that unlocks the insights hidden in your customer data. And you can learn more at audience.com. See you next time.
1: Embossing, embossing. Wearing ripped jeans and dirty waterproof coats.
0: How is it received inside the business?
1: I mean, really, really, really badly like really badly.